Welcome back to another episode of Conservative Roundup. Today we have Chris Dontremont, the MP for West Nova. Welcome back to episode 20 of Conservative Roundup, everyone. Today I'm joined by Chris D'Entremont, the MP for West Nova, and Marlene Nickerson-Smith, the uh, one of the activists and organizers for Nova Scotia, so I'm very proud to have them both on today. Good to see you. Thanks for the invite. Good to see you, Marlene. Good to see you, Chris. All right, well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Which one do you want to go first? I think Marlene should go first. Either one, either one. What do I need to tell you? I'm just, I'm just a dyed-in-the-wool Tory. <laughs> well, well, let, let, let me let's say Marlene is a great operative, um, a great volunteer. Uh, helped me on a number of, of my uh, on my elections, of course, over the years. Uh, you know, being a good a good island girl from Cape Island, she always had a really good network of people in that area, and I'm and I and I owe her a lot. To, for getting me to, to, to sort of know a whole bunch of people in that area, which wasn't my traditional area, when all of a sudden I was a minute, an MLA for Argyle, and then I became MLA for Argyle-Barrington. I didn't know the Barrington side, but with people like Marlene, it, it doesn't take very long. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> well, let's start I, miss by... whole, I miss her a whole bunch as I took on this federal thing. So. <laughs> and, I you missed you too, and I miss you too, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, Chris? Well, sure. I'm Chris Dontremont. I'm the MP for West Nova. West Nova, sort of that uh, southwestern side uh, of Nova Scotia, goes from Charlesville, which is just Yarmouth County's line, all the way up to um, just about uh, Col- past Col- almost Colebrook. So Cambridge is the is the community that it that it ends on the edge. So I got the biggest chunk of the fishing industry and the biggest chunk of the agriculture industry in Nova Scotia. So two of our very very important resource uh, resource sectors. Prior to being a member of Parliament, I was uh, the, mem- the uh, member of the legislature for Argyle and Argyle Barrington, and uh, I was there for 16 years. Uh, as a member. Prior to that, uh, I worked in radio and a whole bunch of different things around home to, to make ends meet and married to, to my wife, Anne, with, and a couple of boys, Andre and Alec. Wow. Why did you want to get into politics? You know what? That's a, that, There's a million-dollar question there. Uh, quite honestly, I, I came to it with my family. So when I married my wife, Anne, Anne's dad, uh, Dalbert, was the campaign manager for the current member, uh, Neil O'Blanc, who happened to be the member for Argyle prior. Uh, uh, he ended up being the finance minister for the area for, for Nova Scotia for a number of years in the first John Hamm government. And uh, once when they won government, he needed an executive assistant. He hired me as his executive assistant. It was my first foray or, or, or work within, within government. And uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And then when uh, LeBlanc decided he wasn't going to be reoffering in 2003, I decided I'd give it a try, as, as, as most people would give it a try, because I thought the job was pretty interesting and, and there was a lot of great things that we could be doing for the area. So I put my name in and, and uh, squeaked by the, 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 uh, the Aldrich Dontremont, who happened to be on the ballot at the same time, happened to be the warden for the area, and uh, as the, on the liberal ticket. So... The, the rest, I guess you could say, is history. And in, in that time uh, in, 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 in government, for the first uh, six years of my, of my career, um, I was Minister of Agriculture, Minister of Fisheries, I was Minister of Francophone and Canadian Affairs, I was Minister of Health, I got to be Minister of, of, of Community Services. So there's a whole bunch of things I got to do. In, in opposition, I was uh, the, the opposition House Leader. Um, so I sat, uh, you know, second chair to, to our leader uh, during, during those times. So you know, got to spend a lot of time in 
legislative uh, settings and making sure that the process that we all have to adhere to uh, was adhered by our caucus. So lots of great things there. Oh, and, and you look at the the Maritimes is one of the most liberal areas of the country. How do you think you've you've hanged on to your conservative riding for so long? Well, I mean. Acadians tend to be a little more liberal, uh, I guess is how you'd, you'd say it. But I think there are also people that vote for a person that best resembles them or at least feels that they can represent them. So, you know, we've been a, a very personal kind of, of campaign. You know, Marlene can attest to this. We, we don't, don't normally have a lot of leader stuff in the way that we campaign, uh, you know. So you have to use a lot of you, of, of who you are. you got to do a lot of... Uh, handshaking, talking, lots of events, lots of stuff like that to make sure that you're known uh, in, in the area. So it's just a very down-to-earth, down down-on-the-ground kind of campaigning that we have to continue to maintain. Now, being the one and only conservative MP in, uh, in Nova Scotia creates a bit of a challenge, um, you know, because I've got all these liberals in and around me. But... You know, I think people in, in Western Nova Scotia, uh, I think, appreciate the work we're trying to do. COVID has created a whole bunch of other uh, issues in and around it uh, on how you sort of get in contact with folks. But uh, you know, I think I, I think we're 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 good going into the next election. So we'll have to we'll have to see if that holds. Yeah, for sure. And coming back to the the incidents with with the lobsters that happened last last around yeah. last fall, what what are your thoughts on that? Well. The lobster fishery, and especially the inshore lobster fishery, so that's, and that represents all of Southwest Nova Scotia. So I would say from Lunenburg around to Digby, for the most part, um, it is our way of life. It, it is the main industry, bar none. Um, it, 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 it's the job that all of our families have. So when this started to go a little bit south, or at least the challenges started with our Indigenous people, you know, a lot of people felt very threatened uh, that their way of life, their opportunity uh, was going to be given away uh, to our Indigenous folks. And I don't think anyone really would say that they don't agree with trying to find solutions, uh, trying to find ways to integrate our Indigenous people into, into our fisheries, um, but they have to be a part of it. And through this process, they felt that they were not a part of the discussion on how uh, Indigenous people, how the local bands, how other bands would be able to incorporate themselves into uh, the existing fishery. Even though, quite honestly, after Marshalls, we're talking about what's called uh, the Marshall decisions, which date back to the late, uh, the late 90s. So 1998, 1999 is when the Marshall decisions uh, were, were given. Since that time, governments have spent somewhere as close to $60 million, or sorry, $600 million in order to incorporate Indigenous communities into the fishery. And if you look at the licenses that are actually owned by them now, uh, by the different bands, I mean, they represent almost 10% of total fishery uh, ownership in all, of, in all of Atlantic Canada. Uh, when they're only really 3% or 4% of the total population. So, you know, they, they have great access. Challenge is that does the regular member of that community get the benefit of that or see the benefit of that or, or are able to, to have a moderate livelihood because of that? And that's where we start to hit the challenge uh, for people to understand what that moderate livelihood is how they can access that that uh, that moderate livelihood so you know listen so september october we had 
we had clashes, we had debates, we had lots of challenges in Southwest Nova Scotia because of the moderate livelihood fishery that was brought up, but because of what the community, especially in the Clare area, would say that was an overuse of what's called an FSC fishery, the food and ceremonial fishery. So there was a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of debate and some violence that should not have happened, uh, but people felt that their backs were being pushed against the wall, their way of life was being threatened. It's not an excuse, but I think it's a it's a reasonable explanation of why why it happened. So we had been telling the minister and the department to actually, you know, listen, push back on this a little bit. We have to be in consultation and everybody needs to be at the table. And we have to adhere to what Marshall 2 actually says, okay? So the department, CNP, which is a, a conservation and protection, were almost nowhere. So they, 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 they didn't end up uh, trying to quell any of this violence or any of this hurt or any of this. They just sort of stayed out on the water, watched from afar, maybe pulled a few traps to make sure that they were compliant. A lot of them weren't. That's all that ended up happening. The RCMP, and it fell, it fell on them to actually uh, try to keep the peace amongst the, the two or three sides that were, were having, were having a, a bit of challenge. So the minister says, no, listen, uh, you know, Indigenous people, the Mi'kmaq have a right to fish, which everybody agrees with. They have a right, but we had been saying, well, they have a right to fish, but you have the right to regulate that for conservation and other particular reasons because of what the decision actually said. She sort of said, well, not really. That's Bernadette. So Bernadette Jordan, the minister, sort of said, well, no, not really. We're going to continue to 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 negotiate. We're going to continue these conversations, you know, to try to adhere to the government's requirement to for reconciliation, to try to continue to to advance the agenda of our indigenous people. Well, we can tell her, well, you really can't do that. Here are the rules and here are the here are the goalposts you need to stay in. She was way outside her goalposts on this one. And I think the Liberal government was way outside its goalposts um, as well. You know, mm. every minister in Trudeau's government right now say this. All of their all of their letters that you know, this is what you need to the relationship with our indigenous people is of is the most important relationship that we're going that we have. So there's a big emphasis on reconciliation and 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 of course our relationship with our indigenous people. So they were still staying over there. Hmm. Well, lo and behold, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the minister decided she would take a 180 and say, okay, well listen, um, you need to stay within the seasons. You need, need to stay within our regulations because of because of um, of conservation and other issues. So going to exactly what we had told her she needed to do back in in October, and that she sort of I wouldn't say der der derogated her responsibility, but she ignored that responsibility, and then all of a sudden, oh my good my goodness, the fishing season is going to get going in April. June, especially up in uh, up in up in uh, Cape Breton, all of a sudden, well, here's the rules, and now the indigenous people are mad at the department. So you have the commercial fishery that's mad at the department. You have the and the minister. You have the indigenous groups that are mad at the at, at the government and at the minister. So it's still nowhere's to being solved. Um, even though I'll take this first step as a positive one. 
we're going to have to see whether the government follows through on any of this. Mm-hmm. For sure, and even down, down east here, or west, sorry, everyone, it's always, oh, it's always the white people's fault. That's what I hear a lot down here, and I think, I think that's very discouraging, because when you actually really look at it, it's actually the minister's fault. She's the one that should be at fault for all of this, because she's the one that should be responsible for for the debates for setting everything up for making sure that everyone falls within their lines of when to fish when not to and in that do you think this reflects on her part as an mp oh, or as a no minister? absolutely i mean had she, she had been warned she had been warned there's probably five years uh, that this government has been warned maybe even the conservative government prior was warned that there was some challenges with fsc fsc in St. Mary's Bay especially, had continued to grow uh, year over year. And in the last year, there was really a, a big challenge. And I'm not going to blame Indigenous people necessarily for this problem. There are Indigenous people that participate in FSC and do it completely within the regulations that are set forward uh, for that fishery. But there are a number of illegals within, within the Clare region especially that ended up seeing the opportunity and purchasing the, the fishery, paying cash for it. So there's a lot of stories that we hear from, from constituents on the Clare side that would, it, it sounds like it's written in a book or it's part of a movie. Like it's that, it's that crazy. So the department had it been, had it been really doing its job and maintaining the rules around FSC, maybe this would not have gotten a, a bit larger. We all have known that moderate livelihood or that discussion has been around for a long time. Um, it was it was brought up in the 1998 uh, the Marshall decision. It was never defined by any government. So I'll take a little bit of blame there too, uh, as a conservative, that our government didn't do it either. But we felt that the Marshall response had actually solved most of that problem, and here we are. It didn't solve a thing. So. There's going to be a challenging time over the next little bit. I mean, we're going to have to go back into the House. We're going to have to ask the minister some more questions on how this is going to transpire, um, you know, how, how real she is in saying that these are the, the – because of conservation, these seasons are put here. These trap limits are put here. This effort is here to maintain, you know, an industry, but at the same time to keep the stock there because the stock if – if we fish the whole stock, we'll not have a fish free, and we might as well just – you know, sell all our houses and move somewhere else because we won't have an industry here for for our communities, so for our families, and that's un- unacceptable. But she is she is to, to blame uh, for this. This government is to blame for the current situation we find ourselves in, and they need to find their way out of it. For sure. And now my next question comes in two parts. How do you th- how do you think Aaron O'Toole sh- should reach out to the to the voter base in the Maritimes, and and where do you think that the the last two elections have gone wrong in the East? Well, and number one, and what I heard of on, 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 on the doorstep quite often, well, what's your plan for this, that, or the other thing? More specifically, what's your plan for the environment? So we're going to have to have a, a good environmental plan. People, people are demanding it, so we need to, to work on that. We need to have a platform that we can say, this is what conservatives stand for. I mean, I can, I can sort of run the line of here's what a conservative is and here's what a, what a, a liberal is. And I, I sort of got that down and I've got my own uh, personal views on, on what makes me a conservative and not, it make, doesn't make me another party. But we need to, here's what we're doing for the environment. Here's what we're doing for supply management. Here's what we're doing for the fishery. Like we have to have those things 
tied up and communicated before an election comes. And I think that's what we really need to do. That will make a big difference. The second thing is we need to have good candidates. You know, a, a lot of times we write off writings. Um, you know, so this time we need to look at, you know, seriously, South Shore, making sure Rick Perkins is there. We need to look at some of the other writings. I mean, Eddie Oral came very close in his Cape Breton seat. So we're going to have to do some work uh, with him. Well, what about uh, Colchester, Cumberland Colchester? What about uh, the uh, uh, so Central Nova? So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, here in Atlantic Canada, but we can only do it if we have the right candidates there and for them to understand what our, our party is proposing. It only goes so far to criticize what others are doing. We actually have to have a plan of how we move forward. Mm -hmm. For sure. And hopefully uh, Aunt Marlene will uh, get Mr. Rick Perkins set up in time for the next election, get everything rolling through as well as you, Chris. Well, I, I, I hope so too. And, and I know there's been uh, been a few people that have been still kicking tires in on the South Shore. So, you know, I, uh, we'll, we'll see how it, how it all turns out. But I, I know... I've depended on Rick over the last number of months, too. The guy knows the fishery. He knows what's going on. So I, I, I really appreciated his help uh, throughout, throughout this process as well. But we, we really need to get some, some good folks. And we need to make sure that the associations are ready. We need to make sure that they have the funding, the funding available to do this. This is going into a possibly uh, a COVID-type election. Uh, we all see what happened in Newfoundland, so we all have to be ready for a couple of different uh, aspects to it, which is no door-to-door door -door, door -door campaigning or very limited door-to-door -door campaigning. Um, you start to get into telephoning and, and social media kind of, kind of work. It's much different, costs a lot more money, so there's, there's some challenges in and around that. Um, and then, you know, if it is going to be COVID-based and it's a four or three or four-day election which it seems to be what uh, elections canada is asking for how do you find the volunteers to actually challenge us when we we talk about something of identifying your vote making sure you know who's voting for you making sure they show up to the poll well that takes that takes 100 people at least in a riding the size of maybe even 200 people in the riding the size of west nova or south shore well, where do you get those volunteers and how do you keep those volunteers over a three-day period to make sure that they've submitted their their uh, their uh, their their ballots or if they want to go in and actually cast their ballot in person ballot in person how do they actually do that so we have a number of challenges that are being put in front of us that we need to find some 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 reasonable solutions to that don't don't break the bank but we need to have money in place we need to have volunteers that are ready to make phone calls and stuff and that's another thing too right because it, canvassing and going door to door knocking is a very essential thing to to get elect reelected and elected because out here the way i'm in aaron tools riding so last election we would go out door door and in the t the span of the thanksgiving weekend we would it's step we have to make sure everyone gets out to vote that was one thing just as you're saying because it's important we need as many people as we can get and it's very important that there that there's all ages age groups of canvassers that can reach out and make sure to secure a conservative riding right and, and then you look at the gta which is still majority liberal like you there's only four three three to five conservative seats in the in the gta why do you think Andrew Shear got less seats in the last election with the even with the popular vote. Was it the condensed areas? Was it what do you think? Well, I mean, the, the Liberals had something special to offer. Um, 
you know, Trudeau mania was was real. So there was some carryover, of course, from the 2015 election. So I think, you know, there people were still not ready to vote vote someone out. Uh, in Canada, we have this, and I think probably most uh, most democracies around the world, we don't necessarily vote for people; we vote people out. So, you know, there was no 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 necessarily a, a push. Plus, we were sort of hit with a number of social issues that created uh, that that I felt I felt Andrew couldn't couldn't explain himself through, and you know that of course had to do with women's rights. It had to do with environment. It had to do with a couple of other things. Abortion tended to be one of them. So we just need to. Be able to enunciate those. I, I know Aaron has come out, uh, you know, quite strongly trying to put those completely aside. So I don't think there'll be a challenge uh, in the next election. Uh, but again, it has to do with making sure we have the right platform and we're ready to go. Uh, and we need to do that sooner or later. We can perform all we want in the House of Commons. We can continue to put out the thousands or hundreds of press releases every day to our meet to the media. But we continue to need to get the message out, and we need to have a strong, clear plan. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of MPs that are working on that strategy. Uh, they're having meetings with the different caucuses around uh, across Canada, talking with uh, source experts on where to go. So hopefully within the next uh, number of hopefully next few weeks, if not a month, month and a half, that there will be a platform that we can all look at and understand and, and know what the, the game is. But the game really has started. I mean, we've seen the ads from uh, from our leader. I mean, Aaron's been busy. I mean that guy. That guy works harder than anybody that I that I've ever known. Uh, if you consider all of the Zoom calls that he's done, the the virtual touring that he's been doing, the the touring that he's been doing. I, I just saw he was back in Bowmanville, uh, actually meeting with real people, which has been great. Ontario's had a challenge uh, through COVID. I mean I don't know what color what color zone you tend to be in, but it's really hard during this COVID time to be. And, he, and you see how close we all got to the possibility. I mean, Aaron did contract the virus. You know, his wife contracted the virus. Um, the couple days before that, he was meeting with the, the, the premier of, 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 of Quebec. You know, can, can you imagine? I mean, here, here's, why, here's why most of us are not, are, not, are, not, are not traveling around during COVID. Can you imagine if it's the MP that brings COVID into a community? Mm-hmm. For sure. tracking, you find out exactly where it came from and who... And who who brought it in? We might not know from Dr. Strang's or, or our chief medical medical officers of health, but for those people in that local community, you find out exactly who brought it in. And that's not a situation we all want to be in. It's not a situation the leader wants to be in. So we need to get uh, we need to get beyond this COVID to get some real stuff going. But in the meantime, it means zooming. It means telephone calls. It means social media. It means all of these things that I think. You know he's been doing a great job. He just needs needs to do more of it, and we need to support him in that work. Perfect. Now, I going, no, my next question is going back to the the 2020 Conservative leadership election. What made you want to end, endorse Peter McKay? What what traits did you see in him? Well, I mean, Peter and I go back uh, to 2003, 2000, well, actually 1998, <clears throat> when I first started working in, in John Hamm's government. I mean, I, I knew Peter Peter then. Um, he's always been a great supporter of ours. You know, anytime that I needed some federal help, you know, if I couldn't get it from from uh, from from our local folks, I could always get it from Peter's office too. So he was always the the the, the political the political MP for for Atlantic Canada, and you can always get that work done. And he's helped me on a number of files uh, throughout the process. 
So, you know, it was an easy, an easy support. And I, and I felt it was kind of time that an Easterner, somebody from Atlantic Canada gets a, gets a shot at being, being a prime minister. But, uh, you know, unfortunately that's how it all falls apart sometimes, <laughs> but I'm more than happy to, to support my friend, Aaron. I mean, I've known Aaron for almost as long, uh, from the John Hamm days too, because he, he worked on John Hamm's campaign between, between he and his wife and, and I got the opportunity to know him then. So it was, it was easy because I, I could sort of, Let's stick, let's stick local for a minute, but I know if not, that doesn't win, I know a local guy that, that's connected to Nova Scotia very well uh, will win that leadership. Mm. Yeah, the, the conservative leadership is almost near the end of the, the end uh, where the, the leader was chosen. There's, there's a, almost a deadlock between Aaron and Peter McKay, what people were saying. And, and it definitely did show because Peter almost did end up winning almost 50% of the vote. And it is, it is truly sad to, to see a, a second and first place right, too, because you like all four of the candidates, and it, and you, it ultimately you have to pick one ultimately to first, and then second, third, and fourth, obviously, right? right. It's definitely something, though, to have someone from out east, though, to represent Canada in its, in its full form as prime minister, too, because you look at it because... Bernadette, Bernadette Jordan, she hasn't barely done anything for, for out east since she's been elected. For how long now? Couple, two, three, four terms? And it, it's sad because you don't see as many candidates that are really put in their time and efforts, such as, such as Rick Perkins, if he, if he will run again. And then you look at Bernadette Jordan, she's done absolutely nothing. So why do you think... Or what do you think are the most important priorities if a, if the Conservative Party is elected the gov- in the government in the next election? History. I mean, we need to get our we need to get our economy back up and running. You know, as much as we weren't hit to hit with it too badly here in Southwest Nova Scotia because of because of how we're based in, in, in resource, you know, if you're in the airline industry, if you're in the tourist industry, if you're a restaurant owner, you know, just go on of those list of people that no longer have jobs and no longer have businesses. You know, we need to have f- facilities and, and, and ways to get them back back and running. So I think jobs in the economy, you know, which is, of course, the most important thing for conservatives, it seems a, a lot of the time. But we also have to think of other things. And, you know, the work that I'm doing uh, as 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 a, as as a member of the health committee, you know, we need to continue to 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 look at how health is distributed across Canada, how provinces are enabled to provide those services. Uh, seniors is very important. We're going to have to find um, ways to provide them with the services they need, whether it be housing or long-term care or or heck, just a, a little bit more money. Okay, Marlene, don't listen to this one. Uh, a little bit more money on their on their checks. Uh, you know people on old age or income security it's really hard to make ends meet uh you know the 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 industry the world has gone on and and cost of things continue to to increase but we've really done very little for our seniors uh to 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 make those ends meet so you know we need to do things there Uh, and like i said environment and there are some social issues that we really need to, to to really consider um as 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 moving forward um, as a conservative party, we need to to find ways to to adopt adopt them and uh, and move on with them. But jobs in the economy are going to have to be number one. The one that that frustrates me that we're not going to be able to necessarily push forward as much is the idea of of balance. Uh, you know, this liberal government has racked up so much debt. 
um, it's going to take years and years and years to try to, to clean up. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not an economist. I'm not an accountant. I don't understand uh, a lot of the, the finer points of it. But just seeing the, the sheer quantity of money that they've spent, um, I just don't know how we as taxpayers are going to be able to pay any of this back. For sure. And since you're a member of the health committee, you look at the two women that were sexually assaulted in the COVID hotels. Why do you think the government or PHAC hasn't provided any data that shows COVID hotels are effective? Well, quite honestly, I believe that this is a political stunt. Um, you know, if they were going to do quarantine hotels, why in the heck didn't they do it back in April of last year when we had over 6 million passengers come through those airports? Like, why do it now? Like, well, it makes no sense. It's because they should have done it back then. Now, if they had done it back then, would we need it now? I mean, I, I don't know, but the data is not there to, 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 to support it. Um, and even weirder challenges, like we're not we're not necessarily affected by that. We shouldn't be traveling. We all know that. But Nova Scotia brings in like five to six thousand um, offshore workers, uh, temporary foreign workers that come work in our farms, work in some of our fish plants, work at uh, some of our our, our our restaurants. Like you actually see a whole, whole bunch of them now uh, at our restaurants, like McDonald's and, and, and Burger King. And like these folks end up everywhere. They normally get shipped into shipped into uh, to Halifax, uh, and then go directly to their quarantine, which they did last year. So, farmers, of course, bring people in from Mexico, Jamaica, Philippines. They would fly in on charter. They were able to pick them up at the airport in Halifax, and then and then go to the farm and where where they could they can quarantine. This time they can't do it. So, can you imagine being a foreign worker? who is in a small town in Mexico or somewhere is in, in, in Jamaica where their numbers of COVID are very, very small. They're coming to Nova Scotia where our numbers are very, very small. And you want to filter them through the highest numbers, uh, highest cases of, of COVID in Montreal or which is still in a red zone. Toronto and, and, and York and Mississauga are still in, in red zones and we're going to run them through those places. Like it's insane. So, they don't have the data to support the decisions they've made, nor nor do they have the data that you can actually get them to change course, which is is, is really really a challenge. But if you ever have a chance, go back and look at the meeting where Michelle Rampol Garner asked the question, "Well, do you have the data that allowed the government to make a decision on quarantine hotels?" And all they got was silence. And you got, um, 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 well, well, we'll provide you with that information, and we still haven't received that information yet. Well. And do you think that Justin Trudeau or or graphic designer Patty Heidi will provide that information? Well, no, and and you know, listen, they, you know, we do. We're in a political game, so okay, I I accept I'm a politician, and I accept sometimes that I do things that are political. But what I see them do is so crazily political and overt. It's a it's it's shameful. So you know, we have the minister that comes in to a committee where we're asking reasonable questions to get her to answer. She does not have the answers to them, but then she goes and sort of talks off these talking points that she has to make herself look better, makes the prime minister look better. You know, they are such hypocrites. It's amazing. And I've never, you know, I've seen lots of governments, I've seen lots of politicians, and these ones are the absolute worst. For sure. And you you definitely look at, when she or when you try and ask your question it's always well it's it's the previous government's fault it's it's stephen harper's fault how does that make you feel 
Well, I mean, number one, I wasn't in a, I wasn't in Stephen Harper's government, so I can't I can't talk to it. But you know, you can't continue to to, to blame others. I mean, I don't forget in my provincial uh, capacity, I listened to the NDP blame the Conservatives. I listened to the, the the Liberals. Stephen McNeil's Liberals are still blaming the Conservatives for it, but of course they got to blame the NDP as well. So it's always these previous governments get to blame the previous government for for all of their problems. You know, they they're the government. They're they're the ones that have the, the 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 reins of power. They're the ones that are supposed to be in positions of leadership. They're the ones that are supposed to be making decisions, and they can't do it in spite of themselves. For sure, it was very great to have both of you on here. I hope that we could do this again, hopefully with Mr. McKay next time. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, thank you good, for. Good, and then and then like I said, uh, you know, with Marlene, I mean, they're they're in the middle of a, a provincial nomination process and. No, but at the same time, there's a federal stuff coming on, coming along. So we got the possibility of two elections this year, which is really kind of going to going to eat up our uh, our volunteers. So mm-hmm. hopefully, they they take some time to themselves right now. And how how do you think it's it's looking out there, Marlene? Is it looking conservative uh, just, or? I was just going to ask Chris that what he <laughs> thought. <laughs> are we going to go with the federal uh, in June? I don't know. Or, or... I don't know. I mean, people are saying June. Uh, I'm not concerned. I'm not convinced yet. I really am not completely convinced. I'm not. I've rarely been wrong on when elections are being called, but I'm not convinced yet. Mm. I, I we need to have more shots in the arm. We need to have more of these restrictions lifted before I think anybody would go into an election. But would you would you I say that know. the two week quarantine as well? Would you say that what should be lifted? In? Well, yeah, because then. You know, then people can move around a little more freely. Uh, I mean, my challenge right now is that I, I'm home. I haven't been to Ottawa since uh, the beginning of October um, because of quarantine. Like I've, I've quarantined twice already. Uh, I did it once in I did it once in uh, end of end of May June when I went up the first time, and then I did it again uh, in October. And now that the re- the requirement is I have to quarantine away from my family. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, you know, so I think I think to get some of the volunteers we normally we normally get, you know, there's normally a sharing of volunteers provincially, federally, different ridings, different places. You know, I get help from Ontario. I get help from Alberta. How do we pull all of this off? And I'm sure the liberals are no different than we are. So, I mean, they're looking at their volunteer base and trying to figure out how it's going to, going to work as well. So I'm not convinced it's going to happen in June. It might happen in the fall. Provincially, I don't know where where they are as well. Um, I, I I really think unless, you know, Stephen McNeil's numbers were high, so they were overinflating the Liberal numbers here in the province. Um, I don't think Ian's going to have those numbers for for very long, so they'll start to wane in the next the next polling. So he's going to have to call an election pretty quick, I think, in order to maintain those numbers. Mm, so sure. they could be this spring too. I think this is what Tim is is uh talking about i think he really thinks it's going to go early i think it's early i think it's mm-hmm. going to go yeah. early i hope it looks early. it does it does turn blue this year i, I very much do hope that well I, I again i'd like to thank you for both being here i really did enjoy this <clears throat> yeah no i appreciate it. you call anytime oh, perfect thank you aiden thank you very much You're for welcome. involving me in this with chris especially <laughs> There you go. Well, Marlene, hopefully we'll see you. We'll see you soon. We got to have an event one of these days. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. For sure. We Maybe do. the nomination. I'll show up at the nomination, and we'll. That'll be a good idea. Well, <laughs> I don't know how. Date of that? How's it going to be? Uh, nomination is April the. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's early, the middle of April. Early, yeah. Middle of April, I think. 
But how are we going to have that? We don't know yet yeah. how we're going to arrange to have that nomination. Yeah, then me and I can talk about what, what my feelings are on, on the two perspectives. <laughs> For sure. Good idea. Well, have a great day, Runner. I, I really did All enjoy right. this. Thanks, Aiden. Perfect. Thanks, okay. guys. Have a great night. All right. See you, Marlene. Bye. Okay. See ya. Bye. See you, Chris. And that was the MP for West Nova, Chris Donchermont. Make sure to tune on the next episode of Conservative Roundup.